Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. And indeed, we welcome you on this 18th day of April. Not possible. We're almost a month into springtime. And today, it very much feels like it outside. Hope you're uh, experiencing a little bit of the outdoor weather, but uh, are set to spend at least some of your afternoon with us. Sean Brotar will join me shortly. And, of course, we're broadcasting, as always, on Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. Our caller text line remains 303-831-1340. We are streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen and the free Mile High Sports app. Our producers, again, as uh, most always is the case, the great Danny Bailey and uh, I don't mean to slight Andrew Detmer, so I'll say the equally great Andrew Detmer. Uh, We have two producers, and if you've been listening over the last month or so since Sean and I began, back on the 13th of March, you know that for both of us, this is an unusual experience. Having even one producer was considered a luxury for a very long time in this business. We have two, and we have Sean Brotar. Hey, how's it going? It's it's great. It's great to see you. I know you you were hung up a little bit, and I anticipated a longer delay, but you are here, and uh, you can get set up as you Um, see fit here over the next uh, few moments, but we haven't even started talking, really. Other well, than reviewing the basic housekeeping chores that you perform so gracefully <laughs> on a daily basis. Uh, when, when, when I'm not uh, discovering the uh, entertainment of uh, of automobile ownership, obviously. But, uh, you know, that's how it works sometimes. So, uh, the game here tonight, obviously, as we talk about this, Avalanche and Crack Game. We'll have Kyle Fredrickson of the Denver Gazette join us. In a Absolutely. Bit. Look the, forward to that. The injury situation for the Avs, as we know, kind of hovers over all of it. But at the same time, it's really important, and I think, Sandy, you've done a great job of of delineating it over the last few weeks, that it's almost a disservice to this Avalanche team to have the injury situation hover over it as it has. Uh, They're the Central Division champs. They're the number two seed. They won 50 games, something that you suggested they would be able to get to. And this I remember proved, after after the Nuggets traded Carmelo. Yeah. Uh that the Nuggets I think had 32 wins. And the season was I don't know, all, almost 3 quarters in, not quite, but almost 3 quarters in. 32-27, 32-28 something like that. And George Carl said the Nuggets would Went 50 games, and I and everybody else said, you're nuts. You're nuts. You'll be lucky to win 45. You know, focus on making the playoffs. And they won 50. They got to 50. And so in that spirit, I uh, perhaps got a bit carried away a few months back because the Avalanche had to finish with 30 wins from basically 
January 13th on forward to the end of the season. Right. They ended up with 31, so they ended up with the uh, 51 wins they needed to uh, not only hit the 50 mark, but break through and they, the uh, barrier of 50 wins, which well, for the we, first time need- in the history of their franchise, and that goes back to Quebec City too, obviously, they won 50-plus games in consecutive years. Never been done before and they needed, by this uh, franchise. All 51, obviously, including the one on the very last night to get to where they're at, but that means that their opponent is the Kraken as opposed to the Wild. Either way, it was going to be a series in which home ice was going to be in Denver. And this is, again, where it feels like you you want to remind fans who are maybe getting into hockey a little bit or, or maybe the, the avalanche last year kind of got you into it or, or re-engaged you in hockey. And remember that this isn't like the... NFL playoffs or even the NBA playoffs when you're talking about the Stanley Cup because of the nature of this tournament any particular team including the the Boston Bruins who have had a, a, a record-breaking season you're always taking the field it is far more likely that any particular team does not win the title than wins it because of the very nature of these long grueling seven-game series of which a team now, you know, great. The Avs won 51 games. You want to win the Cup again? You have to win 16 more. And this will be against the best of the best in the league. And so getting the second seed was enormously important. The difference between the Kraken, and I get it, the Wild have not played all that great of late, 5-3-2 and two in their last 10. The, the Kraken a little better at 6-4, and four, I suppose. You could make the argument that they're playing an equivalent kind of game right now. But we've seen the Avs versus this Kraken team, and we've seen the Avs versus the Wild, and we've seen the Avs versus the Wild somewhat recently, in which the Wild caused them major problems. The physicality is still there. Now they're adding speed and skill, and they're getting some talent back. Kaprizov was on the ice. Uh, you know, they, Even they, as they, Erickson Eck was not, Kaprizov was back, and I think that was a net gain, especially after Joe Pavelski went out for Dallas. It was really Minnesota's game to lose, in my opinion, although uh, I, I just barely made it. I, I was going to midnight, and then I was going to go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and OT finished up right before midnight in double OT, and, and Minnesota won the game. We'll talk about the Pavelski thing later on. But, yes, your, your point is well taken. And let's take last night's four games quickly for an example. Sure. In the East, form held. Carolina 2-1 over the Islanders. Boston 3-1 over Florida. Home teams won. You know, even the 2-1 game was pretty much under Carolina's control uh, most of the way. Uh, Carolina never seemed in danger of losing the game, uh, much less Boston coming close yeah. to being threatened by Florida. It was only 3-1, but it never, it never uh, felt it, in it doubt. It was not in doubt. However, in the West, the home teams were surprised. And the home teams both had leads. Dallas led 2-1. Edmonton led 2-0 and 3-1 with 8.38 remaining in the game Mm -hmm. and lost the game. Now, I still think Dallas and Edmonton will win. It is folly to overreact to one game. But the Stanley Cup playoffs, even in the first round, tend to be a lot more unpredictable than the NBA playoffs. Certainly they do. I mean, this is a league in which eight seed has won the cup. Not not once, more than once. That's obviously never happened in the NBA. It's never even come close to it. But in this Stanley Cup playoffs, it can happen. And I mean, the, the, the comeback that 
the Kings put on Edmonton was remarkable. And they get that goal at the very, in the very last uh, 16 seconds. And, and guess what? You and I talked about this little behind the scenes stuff. Uh, Sandy and I go out in the, after our show, we record our little post game video that we'll post on social media. If you catch, if you're uh, following mile high sports and you should, but then sometimes we'll talk about what we're thinking about it tonight or what the, what, you know, we're looking at for the games. We're just kind of talking sports. Yeah, we keep actually doing this after the show ends for a little while. And we were talking yesterday, literally in the parking lot, about how Edmonton's the better team. They should win. But the Kings have some guys who have been there and know how to win in big games. And guess what? Kopitar scores. Johnny on the spot. 16 seconds left. Sends it mm-hmm. to OT. And then the Kings find a way to get it done. And, and so there is value. And that's another thing when you look at with the abs. These abs have been there almost to a man have been there and they've been there recently and they know how to win. And so I, I do think it's a mistake. Is, is it difficult to say the abs would have a remarkably tough, tough time repeating because they don't have Gabe Landeskog? Of course, it makes it a lot harder. Of course it does, but they're still the two seed. They still have home ice against everyone, but Vegas that includes Edmonton were it to come to that at any point. And, there's no even assurance that Boston's going to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals because of the nature of this tournament. So I think uh, coming into this game one tonight, I look at it and I feel extraordinarily optimistic about the Avalanche's chances because it is a different scenario to, let's say, lose. And you, you talked about Joe Pavelski. We'll get to him in, in a minute. And we'll find out there. But if they, the Avs, let's say this injury to Gabe Landeskog happened two, three weeks ago. That is devastating. Because one of the guys that you had counted on that's been there the whole time, that, that everyone is accustomed to play, playing with, he's not there. Gabriel Landeskog has not played a single game this year, and he will not play in the postseason. That is a blow because, of course, he's a remarkable talent. He's the captain of the team, and it, you'd love to have him. But this is a different style of loss than losing a guy late. And, and I think for the Avs, who have gone this whole season without Landeskog, coming into this Stanley Cup playoffs, it probably feels less daunting than I think a lot of fans might think, simply because the guys in that locker room would be able to look around and say, we've been here all year and we've been getting it done. That's fine for the technical aspects because they have gotten used to playing technically without them, and they play the same way they always do. Uh, they play the same way they did last year. We talked about this yesterday. They forecheck the same. Neutral zone play is the same. They have two players carrying their attack, which is a little different from last year, but their style of play really hasn't changed. Uh, Just watch, uh, uh, if you have a chance, you didn't watch it live, the Edmonton game at the end of the year, if you want to see how the Avalanche still are able to play with pace and play with speed and whether the game is high scoring or low scoring or kind of somewhere in between, uh, the Avalanche play the way they play and they are adaptable and they have had to be this year because it hasn't only been Landis God who's been out, although he's been out for the entire season, they have lost for about a third of the season, maybe even a little more Nishushkin. They have lost for more than a quarter of the season. Makar. Uh, they have lost for a healthy portion of the season. Bo Byram. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have lost for about, 15 games out of 82, Arturi Lekkonen. These are key guys. 
four guys who played all 82 games. Nathan McKinnon is not one of those four. Even McKinnon missed 11 games yeah. with injury. So this is a team that's adapted, but I think in the locker room, Alex Newhook, I think, was quoted yesterday as saying, we, we miss Landis Scott in the locker room. It's a much quieter place. But there are leaders in that room. And Andrew Cogliano, for example, who emerged last year uh, on the recommendation of Nathan McKinnon, the abs trade for Andrew Cogliano, and he comes in and he provides benefits both intangible and tangible, but especially intangible when he's comfortable enough after just a few weeks with the team to get up after a Game 5 loss in the Stanley Cup Final to Tampa that made the Series 3-2. The Avs playing at home expected to wrap things up. They did not, and they were a little discouraged about it until Cogliano reminded them that if they played their game, which they really hadn't in Game 5, they did what a lot of people do in game-clinching or uh, series-clinching, match-clinching situations. They started to think ahead, boy, what will it be like to celebrate winning the Stanley Cup and also thought about maybe some of the downsides of the celebration that would take place citywide that night. Of course, they were thinking about that even just a little bit to their detriment. And they went on the road where they had been 8-1 and one in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and they made it 9-1 and one in Game 6 and won the Stanley Cup. So leadership can come in different forms from different places, but they will miss the captain they've had for more than a decade. There's no doubt of that. As far as the injuries are concerned, I think I can sum it up by reciting an exchange that our friend Sean Keeler of the Denver Post had with Jared Bednar yesterday. Um, what can you tell us about the status of K.O. McCarr? That was the question asked by Sean Keeler of Jared Bednar. Bednar's response, well, I can tell you about it, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to give you any information on our lineup, who's healthy, not healthy, injuries, none of it. Now, you infer from that that McCarr is probably going to play tonight, more likely than not to play. Uh, Cogliano was apparently skating around in a non-contact jersey yesterday at practice. He might play. Manson was going full speed in practice last week and probably could have played had it been the playoffs last week. But since it wasn't, even though the Az were trying to clinch first place, they hold him back. He's almost certain to go tonight. So other than Morgan, they more or less seem ready to go. And even Helm may return you to the lineup you tonight uh, if Cogliano does not go Maybe Helm will go. Yeah, Coughlin was not on the ice for morning skate today, but uh, it was still basically considered a game-time decision, as Jared Bednar mentioned. Uh, they, they said, we'll see. And Coughlin is one of those Iron Men who's played right. through high ankle sprains during a consecutive game-playing streak earlier in his career that was ended only by a suspension that he had to serve. That broke his streak, not an injury. The... Injury situation, I guess, when you talk about it that way, I mean, look, uh, Pablo Franzos is back. You talked about all the other injuries. Lekkanen is back, has already scored, looks looks good. It is missing Landeskog, and it is not an, an insignificant subtraction. But if you were to look at a lot of teams right now, and I, and I include their opponents in this, the Seattle Kraken, 
We would love to have probably either of the, the uh, former Avalanche players, Andre Burakovsky, Jonas Donskoy, available. Especially Burakovsky. Sure. He's having a sensational year before he got injured. They don't have him. I mean, at, at, at this at this stage, it, it's easy, I think, for Avs fans to get into little woe is me. But, Sandy, you, you laid it out perfectly. Tonight, this team might be the healthiest they've been all year. Tonight. Game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs, this might be the healthiest Could version be. of the Avalanche Should all be. year. And that is a very good sign because every other team has injuries at this point. Now, at this point, you, you kind of roll the dice. There are guys may get hurt. They may end up being series-altering injuries. That's the way it goes. But they're coming in as healthy as they've been all year, and that is a terrific sign for their chances of repeating. It would seem to be uh, my only reservation is that every time they get a player or two back, it <laughs> seems like two more go down. And they're not always the long-term injuries, but even in the short term, any injury now that we're in the playoffs – could potentially right. be There's compromising, some, yes. if not damaging. And, uh, you know, I, I make it, Bednar said what most hockey coaches say. Now, we were talking the other day about all these Dallas Stars who played 82 games this year. And in game one of their first-round series of the Minnesota Wild last night, Joe Pavelski, who I think was one of those guys he was at age 38, games. he goes down and he may not be back. He may not be back. Now, again, the hockey coach, in this case, Peter DeBoer of Dallas, is notably vague, saying after the game he's okay. He saying, was able to walk off when somebody asked him whether he was confident he'd play in game two. He immediately jumped in and said, no, not at all. I'm not I'm confident, not confident for game that he two. will play in game two. Yeah. So and, and that was, of course, yes, a, he could walk out of the arena under his own power, okay. which he couldn't do in leaving the ice. But beyond that, seemingly in no condition to play in game two. And if he doesn't play in game two, I suppose there's the chance he might not play at all in this. Series. He's 38. I mean, the recoveries take longer. That's just the reality. And so, yeah, these are these are the, the, risks. the ice that, it, you know, you can it, people can argue about this hit all they want. My feeling is, if it isn't against the rules, it should be. It was originally assessed as a five-minute major, and then on well, a review. Well, that's what they do is a procedural matter. Right. They, they assess the penalty, and then they go back and review it, and they downgrade it if they want to downgrade it, which they did to a minor. Uh, Max Domi retaliated, as a good teammate should in that instance, in my view. And he got a two-minute minor, so they didn't even get a power play out of it. Mm -hmm. And Domi got a 10-minute misconduct thrown in uh nothing really happened to the offending party who is uh in a manner of speaking a recidivist in these matters oh yeah i'm that, not saying dumb, he's uh, what nazim right. kadri was at one time for toronto and even for the abs but he's on the verge of being that guy noted for playoff cheap shots yes Yes, I think that's totally fair. He argued, you know, it shouldn't even have been a penalty. Of course, it absolutely should have been a penalty. And, and the stars well, first are, of all, he high-sticked him, which nobody seems to be addressing. That's true. That, and that's you're really in control of your own stick. I don't care who's off balance and how hard the collision is. You high-sticked him with the stick. Now, well, we're not going to argue whether it was shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to head. I mean, the collision was such that his head was thrown back, and as he fell, his head hit the ice now that doesn't happen 
if not for the gratuitous hit. And by gratuitous, I mean unnecessary, unless you know, people are clear on that. I'm not being cute here. It was totally an unnecessary hit. He was already out of the play. The hit was, if nothing else, late. I mean, the puck's bouncing around behind the net as he's being hit. And I know they can slow it down and make it seem like, well, he he just got rid of the puck a split second earlier. No, he hadn't. And I was a little disappointed. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, but everybody in the ESPN studio said no big deal, part of the game. Messier, Chelios, uh, Subban, Mm -hmm. all three of them took exactly the same position. Uh, My kingdom for one ex-player who will stand up and say that was not only a five-minute major, that was suspendable. And And nobody came close. It's the thing you want to take out of hockey. Quite frankly, it is. People talk about, well, you take fighting, take whatever. What you want to take out is is those kind of shots. And and Miko Rantanen took one. Uh, just a little bit ago as well. It, you know, play had kind of ended. He he had gotten rid of the puck, gets clobbered high, you know, goes down, lands hard on the shoulder. Uh, you, you hold your breath for a minute. It turns out Rantanen was okay. But those are the kind of things that, that you want to see gone. And in this case, uh, you see it last night with Pavelski for the Avalanche. Of course, you hope you don't see much, and the Avalanche don't tend to be one of those teams that do that. Uh, fortunately, they're not playing a Seattle team that tends to play that way. Either. No, they're pesky. They're not belligerent. Right. Uh, so hopefully we'll find out how that goes. We want to know uh, what you think, of course, the series starting tonight, 303-831-1340 is the number. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of this matchup, where the strengths are for the Avs and where the strengths are for the Kraken. We'll do that next on Mile High Sports. My many artifacts, the list goes on. If you just say the words, I'll open my Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Avalanche have a date with the Seattle Kraken coming into town for tonight's game. They will face uh, old friend Philip Grubauer, as we mentioned, of course, old friends Andre Berkowski and Jonas Donsquare are not available. They are injured. But it, it is, that's where we'll start, I think, Sandy, because let's let's look at the goaltending matchup. We know that the Avs have the, the better offense. We know that the Avs have the better power play. That's not really in dispute, even if they didn't have, for example, Kale McCarr, who I, I agree is more likely to play than not, but there's no real confirmation. You won't really know until the game well, starts. Well, he, he seems to think he's, he's going to play. Mm-hmm. He also tells Sean Keeler of the Denver Post I'm as close to 100% as I can be right now. To me, that Jeez. means you're nowhere near 100%, but it's the playoffs and you're going to play. It's good enough. Uh, I'm feeling good. I feel good. This was yesterday he said this. I. It's just going to be getting back into the physicality aspect and making sure I'm ready at puck drop. Um he also mentioned something interesting, and in fairness, because 
we've been critical of Michael Malone for excessively playing some of his stars at times this year. Mm -hmm. Kale McCarr, early in the season, was playing close to 30 minutes a night. Yeah, it was was outlandish. And he himself says that, you know, that did have an impact on me. And I don't know if a concussion naturally comes uh, out of that, but uh, this was uh, McCarr, again, in Sean Keeler's column today. For me, obviously, November and December playing 30 minutes every other night wasn't ideal. I knew it was going to catch up at some point, and it kind of just did. So, like I said, now I know. And you learn from that. And hopefully that doesn't happen again. That's a, uh, that's I.e. A, playing 30 minutes every other night, which is often what he and Taves were called to do last year during the Stanley Cup yes. playoffs. Every other night, 30 minutes a night. Even in the regular now, season, 26-22. If they're healthy on defense... Maybe they play 24, 25 minutes a night instead of 29, 30 minutes a night. That would be nice. And especially here in the first round, I don't want those guys playing heavy minutes. The playoffs are heavy, harder, and faster anyway without putting that kind of stress on your best defense. McCarr, despite the fact uh, that the numbers went down from the ridiculous 30, McCarr had 26 minutes and 22 seconds average on ice time last year. Now, in the, this ju- past in, year? Yes, in the just completed season. Yeah. In the just completed season, in the, the 2023 season. That's tops, not among defensemen in the league. Well, yes, defensemen, top defensemen right. they, play they more usually than top do. forwards. Do. But you're talking about tops in the league. 26 22 was the biggest, and yeah, he played 60 games. I understand that. But that's the most ice time of anyone in the league. And, and Taves was eighth. That is heavy load on that pairing. There are no other pairings. Now, you might be, maybe think some of the best, uh, the, the pairings might be like that. Uh, Drew Doughty of the Kings, number two behind McCarr, 26. He's, he's a lot older. Than the, only, the only two players that go 26 plus. Uh, no line mate, even in the top 30 in ice time. When you, you go to uh, Rasmus Dahlin of, of Buffalo, again, no teammate. Until you get to Owen Power and number 20. No defensive pairing in the league. You go to Quinn Hughes and Eric Carlson and Heiskanen, uh, Rowan Josie. No pairing in the league is any higher than the Avs. And quite frankly, it's not even close. Right. Well, I remember Bob Hartley used to get criticized for playing Sackick and Forsberg too much. Um, not so much by Sackick, but I think even privately by Forsberg at times. Forsberg didn't like playing uh, heavy minutes because he played such a heavy game. He he just took a beating, and he didn't even enjoy centering a line all that much as the injuries began right. to uh, develop. Uh, but you know, to me, with Forsberg, that was an inevitable outgrowth of his style of play. It just was. Uh, it, he was going to get pounded. I remember that series uh, against the Kings in '01, in which he was injured and was forced to miss the rest of the playoffs and half the playoffs that year he didn't play and in game seven when uh, uh, the injury uh, of course broke loose as it were uh, that that was a cumulative deal 
I mean, he was getting fouled and viciously uh, checked throughout the series, and it just added up to what turned out to be a season-ending injury and in part contributed to his sitting out the following year until the playoffs, of course. Right. So that that's, and it, you know, that's a good point. And uh, Jared Bednar has been phenomenal. He's not going to win the Jack Adams, as we talked about. He should probably be in the top three, and he's probably not going to get that. That's what happens when, you know, heavy is dead, wears the crown. You're, but fair is fair if you're criticized. But if we're, coach, yeah, but exactly. But I'm, I'm glad you brought that up thing. because we have criticized Michael Malone about that, and we haven't really brought that up with Bednar. But, I mean, looking right here, the, the, the only other pairing that's even in the top 20 of the two, Dolan and Power, at 3-20, and 20, as opposed to McCarr and Taves at 1-8 and eight in the entire league in ice time. Yeah. That's a big jump. Only qualifying factor is that in basketball, there isn't such a thing as a power play. Mm -hmm. And a power play, if you're getting four, five, six minutes of play on a power play in a a given game, I I suspect that's above the average. Sure. Let's just throw those numbers out. Those are generally not, generally not high stress minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you're relatively yeah. stationary. You're not you're being moving, checked. You're not being part. heavily checked, closely checked. You're not being hit. Right. Now, I know McCarr gets hit a lot, in his own end especially. But even in the attacking zone sometimes. But he's not getting hit on the power play. Now, he is a magician. He is magnificent, the way he navigates along the blue line during power plays. Right. You know, they basically play a 1-3-1 mm-hmm. on their power play when he's out. Yes. When Everybody there. else, that they're, they're men on both points. With He's a one-man point yeah. <laughs> combination. But, I mean, the, you know, the, the best, the, the, the top guys in minutes. But, but he's not he's not being They're done. on the so power play a lot. Th- th- that's, that's how a they're quali- there, too. That's yeah. a qualifying factor. Now, a, a guy standing in front of the net on the power play getting hit all the time, right. those aren't easy minutes. But the, those guys are forwards. The defensemen get a bit of a break, those yeah. who are on the power play. Um, and... You know, the five-on-five minutes are the the ones that are stressful. And the penalty-killing minutes, and I understand, listen, McCarr is on the power play, the number one power play unit, but he also kills penalties, Mm -hmm. and he sure plays more five-on-five than anybody else. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the nature. I mean, he's he's the best, most talented defenseman in the game. And so, yes, there's going to be big minutes at the same time. And the great defenseman of the past – it's not, go it, down the list. The Bobby Orr's, the Larry Robinson's, big, the Brad Parks in the 70s, they're, they're playing 30 minutes plus per night. They're yeah. playing more than half the game. And that, that's what happens. And it's, But it is informative to especially get McCarr's view on that, that basically no, no hiding around it. And, and I'm sure Bednar has his own reasons, and some of those were, hey, we, we needed to win games. We finished great with a strong finishing kick, but we needed to win on the very last day of the year to, to claim our division. We had to, to finish in a very strong fashion. So I, Bednar has the argument. But it is informative, I think, to hear from a car and say, basically, yeah, you know what? This was a heavy year for me when I was out there, and there, there was a price to be paid for it. And it, it illustrates the challenges of defending a Stanley Cup title because the fatigue from last year is still cumulative. To an extent, yes, you got an offseason, but the body still has wear and tear. This It's a taxing game. And if you have an injury like Landis Gog fought through, well, maybe that has 
ramifications for the next year. And it did. You mentioned that with Peter Forsberg. You know, it's had that for Landis God. Uh, McCarr has had a 60-game season. Let's talk about McKinnon in that context. McKinnon as well. You're talking about the last four years, 57 games right. in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, that that's almost three-quarters of a season tacked on to the games you've already played and I would in the regular season across those four with years. With the physicality and the nature of those playoff games, that 57 games might as well be physically an 82-game season. It might as well be. So over the last four years, and I'll say Nathan this, McKinnon's I, basically played an extra season. This is the kind of stuff that a few years ago in the NBA, LeBron James talked yeah. about. People laughed it off, but, but he's right. But the seven games, uh, play, uh, I'm sorry, the 30 games played by McDavid, for example, in his playoff career, mm-hmm. is barely half of what McKinnon and obviously McCarr played in basically over the last four. Now, McDavid's only been in the playoffs three times. This is the third time. In 17, he played 13 games. 22, he played 16 games. And and this year, I I, I, I still assume they'll win this year. I'm, I'm, he's been in the playoffs more than that, but I, I, the point being those are the heavy playoff years for him. And even heavy years for him involved 13 games in 2017 and 16 games last year when McKinnon and McCarr were playing 20. And the Avs went 16 and 4. I mean, it could have been more than 20. 20, 20 games. You win the Stanley Cup playing only 20 were, games. That was remarkable. That's, That's pretty, remar- pretty yeah. remarkable. You yeah. sweep two series and win yeah. two others in six. Not usually the way it goes. And and that's a, that's a great point, too. People sort of forget that when you when you look at the, at the Avs title year um for lack of a better term they cruised really i mean you, you won 75 percent of your games in the playoffs on route to a, a title 80 percent or pardon me yes 80 percent and and that is that's that's cruise control that that's unusual that, that, that's that's how the boston bruins played the regular all season. year maybe boston's percentage is a little higher but not much i mean you're talking about 800 hockey in the playoffs and this what is interesting to me about McKinnon in particular. Uh, I, I think McCarr's numbers in the regular season and the playoffs are about the same, which is really good because, as we've indicated, you're playing better teams in the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? McKinnon during the regular season in his career has averaged 1.07 points per game. More than a point per game performer in the playoffs? In the playoffs, wow. 1.33. <laughs> okay? Quite a jump. That's absolutely crazy. Connor McDavid Comical. threw last night, regular season, 1.49 points per game. In the playoffs, 1.45, which is still unbelievable, but it's a bit down from what he averaged during the regular season. And once the playoffs begin, you see Connor McDavid who I think scored in basically every game he played this year, save for a handful, right? Mm -hmm. At least a point. Yeah. He was held off the board entirely and was a minus two last night. I'm not saying you can count on many more games like that from McDavid, but in the playoffs, it is harder to generate offense, even for Connor McDavid. In the playoffs, it's a tougher slog. Nathan McKinnon, averages a quarter of a point plus more per game in the playoffs than he does in the regular season. That is why 
I think the distance between the best player in these playoffs, who I must admit has to be McDavid, and McKinnon, the second best player in these playoffs, is not as wide as one might assume. And McKinnon's won a cup. And McDavid had to play a seven-game series last year in the first round against the L.A. Kings. And there's a good chance after losing at home last night, win or lose, they'll be taking seven games again in the first round. I am not anticipating Nathan McKinnon and the Avalanche playing seven games with the Seattle Kraken. No, it does not feel like that's going to be the case. And uh, uh, tomorrow, of course, the Denver Nuggets will take on the Minnesota Timberwolves for their game, too. It doesn't feel like that one's going seven either. You know, but the the the, uh, the day after... Uh, Is that your official yeah, prognostication? Yeah, it now? won't go seven. Yeah, I feel pretty good about go that. Seven. I'm going to go out on that that limb. But, uh, you know, what is, what's the pulse here in that series with the game being back tomorrow? And I, I think it's safe to say a must-win game for the Timberwolves. Where their head's at, there's interesting notions about that. We'll talk about it next. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I suppose it is worth noting in the NBA playoffs, by the way, this is the first time in the Steph Curry era that the Golden State Warriors have ever been down 0-2. Not that that matters for the Denver Nuggets, but kind of an interesting uh, way to put that into a framework. But obviously, the Nuggets uh, blow out the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Timberwolves have to come back and, f- and find, uh, I believe, Sandy, as you put it, gumption and decide if they actually want to to put up a fight in this series. And uh, it, it was interesting getting some of the, the replies from guys like Carl Anthony Towns who made the argument that the problem wasn't anything they did. He just didn't make a shot. So in this case... This feels like that we're going to know if this series is over and maybe a sweep tomorrow because if, if, an, if the effort for the Timberwolves is the same and even the effort for the Nuggets is the same. And if they remain delusional, this thing's they going, will get swept. They'll be swept right out. And that, of course, when you look at the way that these other series are going, that's a great sign. For do, the Nuggets. Do these guys respond? I can't imagine that Carl Anthony Towns was told that by any coach, especially Chris he, Finch, the he, head coach. Keep doing it. You just make, you'll make just, them just keep time. shooting. Keep shooting threes. There's great shots for you. Uh, most of the shots he took were uncontested. He turned the ball over an ungodly uh, number of times in, in the game. Uh, it was only four, but it seemed like twice that many. Where, he, where at least he mishandled the ball or took such a bad shot, it was the equivalent of a turnover. And he took, what, 15 shots in the game? And I would say uh, at least nine of them were awful shots that had no chance of going in. Steph Curry makes more, quote-unquote, bad shots or contested shots than anybody else, and even he only makes about a third of them. Most of Steph Curry's points come on shots that are uncontested. Mm-hmm. 
great as he is at making what would be for anybody else a bad shot. He can take and make bad shots. Although, if his turnover count goes up or his teams, it doesn't matter how many bad shots they're making. They'll never make enough to compensate for all the turnovers. And that was why they lost last night, and that's the reason they're down 2-0 in the series. Basically, they don't get to the foul line. They take a lot of bad shots or tough shots, and they turn the ball over a ton. And it killed them last night. And they had 20 turnovers and 18 assists. You see that in college games, not in the NBA playoffs. More turnovers than assists? Yeah, that's bad. Are you kidding me? That's bad. And and, and this team. And Curry I, had five turnovers look, it, last night. And, and when you're talking about, hmm, I mean, this is going to be an interesting NBA playoffs because. Joel you, Embiid had eight turnovers last night. Yeah, and, and complained about uh, the Nets begging for fouls as he's flopping all over the uh, the court. Uh, well, I, I mean, it was good for Philadelphia to win when Embiid, in spite of the numbers, I didn't think was very good last night. Now, Maxie was good. Ma- yeah, Maxie, Ma- Maxie, was, Maxie good, was very good. And Harris was good. And I suppose for them, when Embiid and Harden are your third and fourth best players, <laughs> if that and you still win the game. Good sign. That's a good sign. Yeah. Even against a mediocre Brooklyn team who, along with Atlanta, is probably, outside of Minnesota, uh, the worst two teams yeah. in the class. Minnesota's in a class of its own, though, as far as being the worst. But I would say Atlanta and Brooklyn are probably the Definitely more next two. Uh, I mean, in the West, you have a seven seed in the Lakers. You're for a good that, time, that, not that, for a long time. That are now favorites to beat the two seed. Mm-hmm. Interesting, however, that the that three seed, I mean, Sacramento has, to their credit, I mean, they had a 41-point quarter. The The presumption from... After a 16-point one. Yeah. But a lot of the NBA cognizant... Very impressive. No, very impressive. And, that, that that offensive explosion that the Kings, that the Kings have, that uh, statistically the most efficient offense in the history of basketball this it year. It wasn't efficient last night, but right. they still got, they still got 114. 114 points. And the idea is just by, as you pointed out, Sandy, sort of the secret weapon in today's NBA is is pace. And, and the Kings make sure they get their shots. So even when it's not a great game, they're still going to put up a whole bunch of points. And they are comfortable. You know, I think I think they're smart enough and well enough coached to understand that might not take them all the way to the title. But they're comfortable with saying, this is who we are. We're going to try to oh, outscore no, teams Mike in the Brown, playoffs. Mike, this is what we do. Mike Brown sounds like George Carl, Doug Moe back in the 80s. Fire away. Even uh, Michael Malone's <laughs> admonition to Michael Porter Jr., let it fly. I mean, this, is, this is don't, what... Don't uh, worry. This is what they do. Not every shot going in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's Sacramento's style. And, uh, you know, they survive on a night. They're nine for 38 on threes. But they made some big ones at the end. And that game, Kerr was right afterwards. He said, you know, for all the junk that happened and how poorly we played in many areas, it was a tie game with four minutes to go on the road. Right. Of which they've been horrible. So it is, as good as it's this a 50-50 game with four minutes to go. For Sacramento, it would not shock me if this goes to game five and it's tied. 
Oh, I, 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 I think Golden State has an excellent chance to win uh, not only game three, but game four as well. What are you looking at with the Clippers and Suns tonight? That one intrigues me. The late game tonight. Well, it's one of those games now. We, we, we talk about it with, with hockey, even without the home ice advantage, meaning as much as home court does in the NBA playoffs, that the second game now becomes critical for Dallas and for Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And I think at the same time now for Phoenix, even in a series where I think the visiting team will do reasonably well, uh, you don't want to lose two at home and be down 0-2 going to L.A. and thinking, well, we need a split to stay alive in the series. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want to be down 2-0 to a team on which Kawhi Leonard seems now to be the unquestioned leader. And in that sense, maybe in the short term, the Clippers are a little better off. There, there's no question between Leonard and George, uh, who the big guy is. It sounds counterintuitive, but I actually think you're right. And and Leonard is more than willing to get others involved, but also take the big shots. And I, I'm not sure Paul George is as reliable or as willing in those situations. Um, people are talking about the Lakers, but I Clippers are deep. Clippers are deep. And... Um, I, I do think there's something wrong with Booker uh, in Phoenix. I and, and obviously they won't talk about it, but I don't think he, he doesn't look whole to me. Uh, Paul looks very old to me. And I know there's some things he still does well. Mm-hmm. And he had a bunch of rebounds the other night, but he, he couldn't shoot. And so they're down to almost a total reliance on Durant. And as great as Durant is, he wasn't better than Leonard or as good as Leonard the other night. Yeah. And, so and, if it comes down to a series if he is which better. your featured player has to be better than their featured player, I think that favors the Clippers. It might. Leonard is playing better than Durant. It, and he's healthier right than Durant. Right and, and and the structure is interesting because that's a good point you make. If, if there is something, and I, I agree, uh, Booker does not quite look right. He didn't look right at the, at the beginning of the month. I just kind of did not look sharp. Something's going on there, it feels like. And that puts more pressure on Durant. At the same time, this sort of streamlines things for the Clippers, right? No no Paul George, as you pointed out. Okay, this is Kawhi Leonard. Everyone then, much like much like the Nuggets to an extent, right? Kawhi Leonard's team, everyone fill in around him, do what you need to do. But the Suns still have this dynamic that Kevin Durant joined Chris Paul and Devin Booker's team and DeAndre Ayton. He's missed, that there is... When you can catch the Suns like the Clippers did, there's almost at times too many mouths to feed, and that is not really an issue when you're talking about the Clippers. And, it's you know, Kawhi's, and he'll hand it off if it's not his. Big men, are, apart from the great ones, uh, becoming what running backs, apart from the great ones, are in the NFL, kind of superfluous. So it in this series your instinct is to say it's kind of a wash and I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure it is. If the Clippers find a way to win this game tonight, I think they win the series. I have a difficult time thinking the Suns can beat them four out of five games, especially given the fact that three of them would especially be in when LA. Three of the next four would be in LA. I, I think this is a, an opportunity for the Clippers to get this done. And quite frankly, 
really helped the Denver Nuggets. Although there are teams this year in the playoffs that were better on the road than they were at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny thing is, Sacramento was one of those teams. They only went 23 and 18 at home this year. They really, for all the talk about the beam, which is right. a whole lot of fun, and I love their crowds, they're really loud. And they had, I think, somewhat an effect on, on Sacramento. Not, not really on Golden State. I don't think noise bothers Golden State. Right. People like Draymond Green revel in it. But uh, it helps Sacramento. But it should have helped Sacramento during the year. And Sacramento's 23-18 at home and 25-16 mm-hmm. on the road. A little bit better. So Golden State going back home where they were almost the reverse Better than the reverse of what they were oh, on the road this year. As bad State. as they were on the road, they were great at home. 33 and 8. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not 35 and 6 the way Memphis was. So Golden State can't take that for granted because Memphis got pounded at home the other day. <laughs> yeah, they should sure And even with, had Morant finished the game, I think the Lakers would have won the game. Maybe not by 16, but I think they would have won. But Golden State can't just sit there and assume it's going to win. At home, because they're playing a team that won 25 road games and isn't scared. And that's the big thing. Minnesota looks scared. Atlanta's overmatched. Brooklyn's overmatched. But, you know, and I think Miami probably is too. But if Antetokounmpo does not come back for game two, I think that becomes more of a toss-up series. I still think Milwaukee will win because they were 11-8 and without Giannis this year, and they have played without him in the past, but you let a, a given. Very, you let a very dangerous a, a Jimmy Butler of, have a window. A, you know, a guy like Jimmy Butler, you think he cares whether it's a home game or a road game? No, he does not. The Nuggets will take on the Timberwolves tomorrow, 8 p.m. Tip. We'll see if they're a little bit better. The Nuggets now at 35-7 and seven at home. After that thumping of the Timberwolves, we'll see if they continue that. We'll break it down tomorrow, but we turn our attention back to the Avalanche where Kyle Fredrickson of the Denver Gazette We'll give us the latest prior to game one next on My Life Sports. Hey.